Vendawag is back! Where did I go? And why don't I still, after uh, so many years of doing these podcasts, actually have one of those jingles that begins, you know, do 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 do, Vendawag, Vendawag. I, I, I don't have the budget for that. Sounds like perfect 2016 New Year's resolution, Mike. <laughs> so Vendawag is back. I, I perhaps need to explain why it went away. Because uh, I was at this company called VMware for three years, and I kind of felt, even though some people would not have a problem with it, that uh, looking at other vendors while I'm trying to promote what another vendor does seems to me a little bit kind of conflict of interesting. You know, my focus should be, you know, from working for a particular vendor as an employee, going off piece to talk about what everybody else is doing isn't really keeping the focus on, you know, my my employer. But now I'm free. Free at last! Free at last! Absolutely! We're all celebrating for you. I'm free at last! Um, so, uh, it's back. And with me today, I have got Liquid uh, Wear Labs. Almost stumbled over the words. And uh, yeah. you can probably see, if you're watching the video, my, my friend here is called T-Rex. Um, so I guess the first thing I need to know is what the true identity is, and also why T-Rex. So, go for it. Uh. Yeah, absolutely. So the true identity is J. Tyler T. Rex Roar the first, a, a short balding man from Maine. Um, who I say I'm from just north of Boston because if you tell people you're from Maine, they either assume you work at LL Bean or are a, a professional or semi-professional lobsterman. Um, although we do still get great prices on lobster. What part of Maine? Out of curiosity. So I'm I'm in what we like to call northern Massachusetts, which is the very southern uh, part of Maine. So if you were to come over the big bridge, which separates kind of, uh, well, it goes Massachusetts, then there's 13 miles of New Hampshire, then Maine starts and goes all the way up to Canada. I'm in the second second little town uh, as soon as you cross over the border. So oh, wow. still get the benefits of great great lobster pricing. And yeah, T-Rex is, uh, I actually served some time at VMware myself, and it's a nickname that kind of, Sprung out of a, a little mis a little email mistake on my first day on the job at VMware back in 2008, and uh, yeah, it's kind of stuck ever since. Yeah, I, I have spent <laughs> some time in Maine. I went to um, see Dell in uh, Nashville, New Hampshire, and then I went to uh, I think it was a VMug up in Maine. And I ended up spending. Oh yeah, days. the Brunswick. The uh, yeah, that's always the, the summer slam where yeah, we got a gritty McDuck's thing off there, and um, I managed to spend some time in Booth Bay. Which sounds is yeah. further north from where you are, is that right? Much further north. It is, but I mean everything everything until you get to no man's land is fairly close. So from us to Freeport, which is where LL Bean is, is about, you know, hour and twenty minutes. Brunswick's right around that area. But I mean you can drive forty hours straight up the coast before you get to Canada just because of all the different inlets and you know, Maine's a fairly porous state when you get that far north. But it, it's gorgeous. We don't lock our doors, everything's pretty inexpensive and Thanks to the wonders of technology, we could actually uh, you know, interact with the real world, which is nice. I'll tell you what's funny, actually. Before we started this recording, I, I was saying, you know, we need to keep it tight, you know. Already we're yeah. going off piste. So, yeah. uh, <laughs> we're talking about the topology of the main coastline. That yeah, lasted anyway. for about mm, uh, all of 30 seconds in terms of staying focused on, on the topic. Yeah, I've got so, a yeah, critical, critical K-E-D-O-S, which is attention deficit, oh, squirrel. Yeah. yeah. So co-founder then, I guess one question is what drove you to found the company? But I've, I've had a little sneak peek of these slides and yeah. one of those questions is about what sort of problem was solved. So tell us who Liquid Labs are. 
Yeah, so um, again, kind of rolling back the clock a little bit, I was uh, one of the kind of initial team members on the enterprise desktop team at VMware in, in 2008, and in that role, one of my jobs was to kind of travel the country and talk to uh, channel partners and existing customers that were using ESX and, you know, potential customers and talk to them about the, the benefits of running Windows on a hypervisor in a data center for desktop, right, this VDI stuff that we were, we were starting to evangelize. And, you know, everyone had a kind of consistent reaction, which was, well, that seems very, very interesting, but how do we make it actually work? And so, I guess, uh, after hearing that a couple hundred times, that was really the, the genesis of hopping on a phone and, and calling an old friend who was the founder of Vision Core. You probably remember Dave Benneman. Mm -hmm. And I said, Dave, I'm, I'm out here working for VMware. I know that you've successfully divested Vision Core over to, to Quest Software, which is now part of Dell. Um, there is a, a stack of problems, you know, out here in end-user computing that I think we, we've got a better-than-not chance of, of helping solve. Let's go start a company. And really, you know, and I have it here on the, the screen, I, I have some talking points here on some PowerPoint slides, was, you know, managing Windows at scale is a pain in the butt. <laughs> I don't care, you know, who you are, what vertical you're in, what part of the country, what part of the world you're in. And so there's you know, this natural gravitation, I think, for all of us to try to bring software or solutions to bear to help manage Windows at scale, right? And so that's what Dave and I kind of set off to, to do. You know, can we, given our virtualization background, I myself was part of FOTUS, which was acquired by VMware in, in uh, early 08. Um, can we take the software and services background that we each have and, and go out and you know, help solve this problem? So. Yeah, seven, oh, six years into it, uh, almost seven years running. It's uh, it's been a fun ride for sure. Cool. So, I mean, what sort of you said that you know, Windows at scale is is difficult to manage and difficult to do. What precisely yeah. though are people really struggling with? Well, I mean, I I'll tell you. I guess well, maybe I'll answer that question kind of by and through a story, if that's okay, Mike. So I, I like I call this the oh, typewriter story. Time already. <laughs> it's night time. It's night night time. Yeah, hold on. Let me let me take a sip from my Tinkerbell mug. <laughs> ah, excellent. Um, no, the story. It's just the I guess the way my my brain kind of thinks about exactly that problem, which is if you wind the clock back to 1977, there were, you know, IBM Selectra typewriters on the top of every desk, behind every window, in every office building, and you know people were very very happy doing their jobs hunting and pecking on this very simple device. Um, it needed basically two SKUs to support it and keep it running. It needed a ribbon cartridge and some paper. And from an administration, administrative standpoint, you could have you know, one or two folks managing hundreds or thousands of, of these devices. And again, they rarely ever broke. And they were $300, by the way. Mm -hmm. right? Pretty inexpensive little device for what you got. And then one day, a salesperson came in and they said, hey, I know you're very happy on that $300 device that needs two SKUs to support it, that rarely breaks, that you know, you can have uh, uh, thousands managed by a single individual, but I've got something for you. Um, it's got about 80 moving parts, and you're going to need to patch it and update it every Tuesday. Um, it's not $300, it's 3000 and you're really going to need one admin per maybe 100 machines or so before the, the wheels are going to start falling off the bus. How many would you like to buy? Now, we hear a story like that today, and we, we laugh, right? It's a natural thing, saying, oh, my gosh, that's crazy. And it happened in, like, five years. We took every typewriter threw them in landfills and replaced them with this, you know, order of magnitude more expensive thing called the PC, and it happened. I, I personally believe with the way all of the technologies in the ecosystem have evolved, virtualization, cloud, application layering, some of the other 
geeky, fun, techy stuff that you're going to talk about with some of my teammates. And that's really brought us to this event horizon where you know we can start thinking about end-user computing in an entirely new way, which is not a statically bound device with statically bound operating systems and statically bound apps and statically bound data and profiles. We have the cloud. We have streaming. We have layering. We've got VDI. We've got a ton of different ways to, to deliver all this stuff. And, you know, in the early days in 2008, I used to hear all the time, well, VDI is really expensive. And then we did some good things on storage costs. But, you know, at the end of the day, my personal belief is what we're all trying to solve technologically is can we make our users, our staff, and our budget more productive? That's it. That's it. I mean, you know, if, if you can take a million-dollar salesperson and make them 5% more productive, that's $50,000 additional top-line revenue to your company. Again, I'm trained as an economist, so I always geek out with numbers. Um, what would you pay for that $50,000 of additional productivity? My answer is, you know, I don't think you'd be too worried about, is it $650, you know, per VDI desktop or 702 Guys, you know, or girls making $50,000 additional if you can make them that productive. So, anyway, it's... A long-winded way of answering, you know, I think the, the so core fundamental. So going back to the typewriter, that's not the solution then. Oh, <laughs> well, you know, I think it's funny how way leads on to way. I'm, uh, you never know. I, I don't want, ever want to say ever. Um, I'm constantly impressed and surprised by the new technology that uh, that rolls out. So if there is ever a uh, a typewriter that solves a lot of these problems again, I, you know. I'll beta it. <laughs> well, you know, once uh, once all the lights go out and there is no electricity anymore because we burnt all the fuel that creates electricity, maybe we'll have to go back to yeah. the lighters. But until then, uh. we'll carry on going in the in the different direction, I guess. Absolutely. And I mean, here's you know one of the things, and again, this is just another talking point that I like to to bring up, Mike, is you know no matter what I talk about, no matter what my competitors talk about, no matter what the major platforms talk about it still, I believe, has to come back to your organization and this really simple question that I'm just fundamentally surprised more people don't ask, which, which is what problem is it that you're trying to solve? Mm. Um, you know, if the problem you're trying to solve is I just want to give VMware or Citrix some money and, and buy some, some VDI, then that's a pretty simple one to solve. Um, but if the problem that you're trying to solve is you know, data at rest encryption or compliance or enabling the productivity of offshore workers or my favorite, executives on airplanes, um, you know, there's a slightly different stack of, of uh, available options for you. So, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a very dynamic market, and I think in the last probably 12 months, a lot of us are feeling like um, it, it's pivoted, and we might be at the beginning part of that hockey stick in terms of, you know, sheer activity. We're seeing a tremendous number of, of uh, pilots and proofs of concept out there, Mike. In, in terms of VDI? Not just VDI. I mean, that was one of the interesting things. Um, if you uh, can suffer through another uh, marketing infographic here, you know, in the beginning oh. it, it was all about VDI. Ah, look at this one. Oh. I mean, there's numbers and oh my gosh, look at those colors. Oh. See, I've got a near fatal case of ADD, so a picture like this just I love this. I could spend a week talking about this. But my point is that that um, in the beginning it was a, a lot about VDI, and and we really were the first ones to hit the market with this methodology that. Let's start by assessing your existing environment, right? If you know what you have today and you know what your users do today, you're in a pretty good position to determine what they might need next, right? So assessment was kind of the, the key. And then that led to design because VDI in 1.0 form 
was very expensive and very complex and it took nine months no matter who you were to truly architect it and, and pilot it and roll it out. Um, you know, we thought that was the way the world was going to unfold. I think the beneficial reality was that the things that we learned and the scars and slings and arrows that we suffered during the early days of VDI taught us that there are certain things that we can apply to virtual desktops that now equally apply regardless of how we choose to deliver Windows. And that was a big eureka moment for me. And it took it took four years of Liquid or Labs before it kind of dawned on us. And it was really, um, credit should go to the, the customers that started doing this. They said, wait a second. So you're telling me that I need things like user environment management. You're telling me that there are options in terms of how I deliver applications. And you're telling me, uh, and VDI at least, that having strong visibility counts. Um, Well-performing projects get bigger quicker, these types of things. If you can measure it, you can manage it. And we said, yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. And they said, well, if user environment management, application layering, and visibility count for VDI, why couldn't I take those same solutions and point them at all of my desktops, regardless of how I deliver Windows? And I said, well, tell me what you mean. Well, I've got physical desktops. I've got laptops. I've got Zen app servers. I've got published desktops. I've got some VDI. You know, I've got other, <laughs> I have this other thing called, uh, you know, iOS and Android devices. And so I think that's one of the fun things about this market at this current state is that that hockey stick I was explaining is the realization on the part of customers and prospects and channel partners that the things we solved going from kind of persistent to non-persistent VDI are as at home when we talk about, you know, the rest of the Windows delivery styles as anything. So, I mean, it's really exciting, and really exciting there's time. There's two things I think that's interesting about that. First of all, for you as a company, from a business perspective, that's a much larger market than just VDI on its own. You're then taking, Indeed. delivering up the whole market. But secondly, I wonder also whether it's a kind of tacit admission, finally, that the idea that VDI or even you know, what predated it, the sort of metaframe presentation server way of delivering desktops, yep. have never killed off the cockroach of the data center, which is the PC. That the, right. the penetration of those technologies, it goes so far and then they tend to stall. Now, sometimes the reason that they've stalled is because there is some sort of limitation, all users mm. like it. But I wonder somehow the reason that they stall is the world in which we live in is just too complicated for one killer app to come and sweep the PC out of the equation. It will always be there in some shape or form. What, what's your take on that? Is it is it a kind of admission that VDI has failed or that we're being more realistic about what it can achieve for some companies? No, it's a great, it's a great question. It's an incredibly fair question. And I would answer it in the following way, which is, you know, we've had the luxury, again, going back to our methodology, the first bucket there is assessment. And we've had the, the good fortune of having a front row seat um, in this assessment mindset for probably the last seven years. And we licensed the software to, to Dell and to HP and to, you know, um, VMware, Citrix, others, a host of channel partners. The point is we've looked at somewhere in the neighborhood of seven, maybe eight million desktops in terms of all the assessments that's been done. And... And really, the interesting fact that comes back is, in its purest sense, VDI, running Windows on a hypervisor in a data center and connecting to it with a remote display protocol, is maybe appropriate for 20% of the users that we've observed. And there are technical reasons. There are obviously cost reasons. I like to jokingly say they're the laws of physics, not the suggestions of physics. And I don't care what protocol you use, over a 700 millisecond latent link to India, no one's going to have a good user experience. So. 
So I don't want to, but I don't want to use the term niche either. I believe it's another option in terms of how you choose to deliver Windows to your end users, um, and I and I believe that that trend will continue. That that delivering an operating system will end up having a number of different options. I mean, we saw VMware's big reveals yesterday. You know, they're really talking, and, and I tend to agree with some of the messaging about <clears throat> you know. Uh, constructs that allow you to deliver smart applications to the right workspace in the right way with the right security posture and the right user environment and the right visibility, you know, contextually aware of who that person is. The example is, is there something different I want to give Mike when he logs in or is using his iPad versus when he's in the office for a week? And the answer is, of course, because mm -hmm. while this is a decent content consumption device, it's really a pain in the you-know-what to try to create content uh, on that device, and yet... Over here, I'm tethered. Um, I have rich and robust maybe applications that I use when I'm creating content, um, but it's not as portable. So I think that you know the evolution really will be um, depending on what problem you're trying to solve, depending on what form factors, whether it's bring your own, choose your own, or corporate-owned devices. You know, all of these technologies are now uh, tools or solutions that are that are on the workbench, and we get to you know select them based on what we're trying to accomplish. It's, yeah, and I think what's uh, good about fun. that is I think very often when people do start down the road of choosing a technology, things can become quite ideological quite quickly. You know, mm. people start to think I need this thing, so they start looking for the technology rather than what's my problem, what technology solves that particular problem. Um, yeah, I mean it was natural though in the beginning. We all we all went there and we all we all did that. But it is it is fun to watch a certain sense of calm and maturity come over the market. I know it's probably not uh, a word that a lot of people use, calm and maturity, when we're talking about technology. Well, but... We're all getting that little bit more older and gray <laughs> <me>. everywhere. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean I'm in my late twenties, so you know. Uh, <clears throat> <laughs> <laughs> yeah, full spot. <laughs> not. <laughs> so. Uh... Essential solution for the next generation workspaces. What does that mean? Yeah, I mean, I guess what I'm, what we're trying to try to convey here, Mike, is you know when we think about these these next generation workspaces, and, and I really do like the term workspaces in, instead of desktop because you know it does uh, well. It's self-serving. Um, it's also, I think, a, a right the right moniker to use is you're going to have these different styles of delivering Windows. You're going to have some virtual components, maybe virtual desktops, virtual apps, virtual servers you're going to, in my opinion, want to leverage different available cloud applications or cloud services like Dropbox or Box or OneDrive mm -hmm. or um, you know, different application delivery sets. And then, of course, we, to your point, are never going to eradicate that thing called the PC. I, I'm actually refreshed at what I'm seeing out of Microsoft over the last two years. We don't do a tremendous amount of close alliance work with them, but just as an organization, I, I for one believe that Windows is here to stay for another couple of decades. I don't think it was ever really in question, but um, but it is intriguing to watch You know, some of the initial success Windows 10 has had, um, some of the de uh, device, uh, Windows 10 devices, you know, more of the tablets or, or kind of ultra books uh, start to proliferate. I think Windows Phone still has a little, little work to go to catch up with Android and iOS. But again, the, the point of this slide is regardless of how you choose to deliver that operating system or, in our world, deliver Windows, we believe that user environment management, application layering, and visibility, what VMware is calling WEM, workspace environment management, mm -hmm. you know, is the high order bit. Um, and you know, when you think about each one of the different moving parts, you know, I would love to be able to take, I call it user state, all of that stuff that makes my PC or my, my corporate experience mine, my settings, my background, my 
you know, the security or uh, admin policies that they want to enforce upon me, and that should follow me, not a device. It should not be statically, you know, bound to any device anymore. And so, you know, as we look at these different models of variable ways or different ways to deliver Windows, I want that state to follow me, or at least contextually aware elements of the state, meaning different application settings for the same app, if I'm on a tablet, then if I'm on a, you know, dual monitor set up in the office, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, I mean, and historically, seeing, that's yeah, been, historically, that's been a challenge because some of the options provided by Microsoft, like profiles, have been incompatible with each other between one release and the next. So, you know, you yep. end up with multiple profiles because in your office space, there are multiple flavors of Windows and they don't know what you're going to be logging into, you know, the whole yeah. XP versus whatever well, it is that you, you had at that time. Yeah. I mean, and the other thing, you bring up an interesting, you know, thread here as well, which is, you know, not only is it Windows changing where Windows likes to store things, but think about applications, either Microsoft applications or third-party applications, and you now have a myriad of options between version 1, version 2, version 2.5, version 3, version X profiles, mm. and that's, you know, our, our commercial um, contribution in this space is profile unity. I know Jason Smith's going to come on in a little bit and and geek out a little bit, which should be fun for all the listeners and watchers or viewers. But um, yeah, user environment management, being able to work across delivery methods, across operating system iterations, and quite frankly, um, you know, uh, having the scalability to bring all users in scope, not just your VDI users, we think is key. Um, this next one, man, oh man, talk about uh, a little bottle rocket. Mike, have you been staying up to speed with all the news and chatter on application layering? Well, it's not been a space I've been in for a while because of my focus at VMware wasn't in the EUC side of the business, but I've always gotcha. had an interest in EUC because before I was in VMware, I was into Citrix and, and had an yeah. interest oh, in cool. desktop. So of course. Bring, bring me up to speed with what's been happening because I've been out of the loop for a while. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. And there are a number of contributors um, you know, in this space right now, which is really exciting. I guess the simplest way to kind of, at least the way my brain gravitates is I first start thinking about how do we do things historically, and historically you take an application and you would statically install it, you know, into an operating system, and there it was, right? It was on Tyler's laptop, so it was installed on Tyler's operating system, and it just kind of followed that device around. And then, you know, in and about the middle 2000s, you know, Softricity, um, AppV, as most people know it, kind of came to fruition. Thinstall, which is now ThinApp, came to fruition, and that was a different way of getting applications to folks that said, you know, let's give a, a minimal virtual operating system uh, as a bubble. We'll put the binaries of the application inside that bubble. When the application looks for the resources it thinks it needs, it's going to look in the bubble first, and maybe it'll go out to the um, installed registry. It's maybe it'll a packaging, you know, merge. It's a packaging routine, really, isn't it? Uh, yeah, correct. I mean, I just the bubble is just the simplest picture that comes up. But yeah, there was sequencing, and there was definitely some some heavy lifting that needed to go into getting these apps and these packages. And these apps once they were in packages were, were objects and I could you know email it to you or put it in a share and you could grab it and that was nice and and what it allowed us to do is you know obviously if we had apps that that contended um, we could isolate those and there you go the converse is obviously published applications where I'm running the application on a server I'm time, sl time slicing up its use and then I'm screen screen sharing out you know uh, that time slice element to a bunch of users it's more like you know the Zen app um, environment application layering uh, is an entirely new way of thinking about delivering applications to users. And all we're really doing in, in my, you know, kind of uh, junior varsity brain is we're virtualizing the location 
of the app. It is now a volume that lives on a network or in a cloud, and I can give folks functional use of it by mounting that volume to whatever operating system you're using. So it could be a non-persistent desktop, could be a LAN-attached um, physical desktop. We're working on the offline use case for laptops. But what I like about it is, to the operating system, it looks native. So the interoperation or the inter uh, operability of the application with other applications that it might have to work with, you know, maybe it's an app and, you know, a print drive or something like that, you know, will work smoothly as opposed to sometimes with isolation, you're going to look at maybe a 60, 70 percent, you know, success rate in terms of the app that you package with AppVert actually working or working with other apps, now whereas with application layering much higher. Now, it's this layering which is new to me because I think probably where I kind of checked out of the EUC thing was before this kind of... Um, uh, formation of a layering approach. When I was looking at this, it was more kind of uh, app V and thin app approach. Mm -hmm. And what I found was in the main, customers who had, say, something like Office would always install Office into the base image. And they would only use True. these application sequencing, packaging, whatever you want to call them tools, to deliver the apps that only a subset of people might, might need or applications right. that are kind of not used from one quarter to the next but core applications like office they didn't really sit mm. too well with being packaged up is that the same case with layering or can we put anything in the layer even if it's something as big as a, a full-fledged office install yeah so i mean i'm going to give you the famous answer of it depends um, obviously okay. there are handshakes between licensing and, and physical devices that need to happen and microsoft's been famous for that uh, but you bring up an interesting point, which is I, I do believe at the end of the day that base image should be Windows only. I think that we're moving to a time and a space where that operating system is, is clean and pristine. It is read-only. There's not really a reason anymore to, to um, rust it up or corrode it over time by adding things to it. We can bring these just-in-time layers into the environment, whether it's your user profile, like we talked about with Profile Unity, whether it's snapping in your applications with us or Obviously, the app volume solution from, from VMware is an incredibly um, interesting new new offering that they've come out with, and I think is great for customers just in terms of sure. just knowing that, that layering is out there as a thing. Mm -hmm. But no, you bring up a great point. There's so while these applications with layering interact with the operating system in a very native way, there are still things like side-by-side -side DLLs where we'll have contention, and either I need to figure that out. Our contribution is a new technology that Jason's going to talk about called micro-isolation, really cool, allows those, um, I guess you could say, contentious issues to be minimized, or I need to wrap it up with full isolation with AppV or ThinApp. But again, again, tools on the tool bench in terms of what problem is it that you're trying to solve. If, if the problem you're trying to solve isn't the delivery of 600 apps to 60,000 users or 10,000 users, there might be different tools that you want to use. And certainly, last but not least, at least as I look at the universe, um, is this notion of visibility. If in my opinion, we're going to start abstracting parts away from a PC. And your data is going to live over here, maybe in a cloud. And your applications are going to come in from you know, this file share, from this network share. Um, and your persona is going to be contextually aware of who you are and what device you're logging into. Well, I think that we're putting, um, I don't want to say we're putting a lot of eggs in one basket, but we're distributing the eggs. And so I think visibility counts. I want to know when something goes bump in the night, what part of that stack was it? It's, I can't just point to that thing called the PC anymore because the workspace is now the summary of a bunch of different parts. So we're finding, you know, whether it's 
the assessment use case, whether it's in a pilot or a bake-off or a proof of concept. I mean, think about this, Mike. Um, if, you're, if you have a problem that you're trying to solve uh, and you start trying to solve it with technology, how do you know that you've solved it? I mean, there's usually not some magic green blinking light that says, congratulations, Mike, you've won. You, you're now able to roll this out to all your users. So we like to think of uh, you know our contribution in this space, Stratosphere, somewhat of a canary in the coal mine. There is another, How are you doing? There is another you know? use of this sort of visibility as well, which is when a problem happens, it gives you the tools to be able to prove it isn't you and it's somebody else's yeah, right. problem. <laughs> that guy. Yeah, that guy. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, and I, it was actually a quote that I, I cut and pasted from Intel, which is, you know, if you can measure it, it matters. And if you can measure it, you can manage it. And it's it's really quite exhilarating, I guess that's the right word, I'm a nerd, I'm allowed to use that, to watch customers, you know, have that eureka moment where, you know, they struggled all week, they couldn't find the issue that was causing the login delay, you know, they used Stratosphere and they're like, oh gosh, I didn't know we still had that script in there to map that printer that, you know, went end of life a decade ago, maybe we should clean that up a little bit. I mean, these are small examples, but but um, hopefully you can sense my enthusiasm. It's just an exciting time to be in the space, you know, really, those three pillars of User environment management, application layering, and visibility are like the big thing. And you know, who would have thought that Little Liquidware Labs, a uh, non-VC funded, you know, underdog, would be uh, battling giants like VMware? It's pretty exciting. So I'm looking at the time. I think we're coming close to our end of time. Do you do you want a, a chance to wrap up? Yeah, I mean, obviously, thank you. Thank gosh that uh, that you've got VendorWag back back on and uh, live. You know, the revolution will be publicized or uh, broadcast. Honest, yeah, uh, yeah I, I had my uh, three extra cups of coffee and my my Tinkerbell mug to uh, to get through this this morning. But no, I, I believe that what you're what you're sharing with the community is incredibly important. And I know I have fun and and um, a bit light uh, in terms of uh, how I like to think about these these subjects. But it really is an interesting event horizon. I truly believe that the technologies that, avail that are available, not just from the major platforms or, or ecosystem partners like ourselves, but you know the things that Nutanix is doing with hyperconvergence, um, the things that we're seeing happening with networks and obviously in the cloud, it's an ex incredibly exciting time to be an end user computing. Um, and I just want to thank the uh, the viewers for watching. Okay, thank you very much for that. Um, what's going to come up next uh, is a product lowdown, where we'll go into more detail about the solutions that are on offer. Um, it's kind of designed for somebody who needs to know how the technology works, but maybe doesn't touch all the knobs and all the buttons. Um, for those people who like to see the product, they need to see what it can do. The companion video, which is a technology demo, maybe one of more interest. But if you want to watch the whole lot, that's fine. More than happy for you to do that. Or alternatively, stay tuned for the next video. But thanks for watching, and we'll see you in the next part.